Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Come on, let's go to the blue hotel. Welcome to the Blue Hotel, the podcast with the open mind. I'm Jeff Woods. Where does sex land in your hierarchy of needs is the question. It's a question I pose as well to our special guest this time. And that will lead us to thoughts about where she grew up and who taught her at school and why and how and how that led her down a road to therapy. That is, being the therapist. And our discussion around dating, online and otherwise. And that leads to our shared love of sex educators like Sue Johansson and Dr. Ruth. And I'm going to prompt a discussion about the best lube in the world. And I'll give you a little hint, it's all in your head. And then my special guest is going to redirect, investigating my inspirations both in life and in building this The Blue Hotel podcast. And we'll dive into sub-themes like shame and polyamory and bisexuality. Go figure. Then followed by the climax of episode 19, it's a new erotic bedtime story. This time, listeners submitted Women Loving Women, written by Christine Gauthier, edited and narrated by yours truly. I hope you enjoy the whole episode, and if you do, tell your friends about it, the Blue Hotel Podcast. And if you missed an episode, please go back, because each one has a special guest, and almost always a bedtime story. Now, shall we meet our special guest? Our guest today is very well-educated and mindful and compassionate and sex-positive and a true lover of life. Plus, she's the host of the Get Some podcast, exposing society's fuckery when it comes to sex. She's been working in the mental health field since 2003, with her own practice as a therapist since 2013. My guest's experience is a registered social worker, registered psychotherapist, certified sex therapist. Puts Michelle Fischler in the spotlight this time at the Blue Hotel. We say welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I'm so excited to be here. I think our podcast actually started around the same time. A strange coincidence, perhaps, if there's any such thing as that. I believe, you know, there's no accidents. You published 19 episodes? I think that there were 19 in season one and two in season two. Okay. This is episode 19 of The Blue Hotel, starring you. I thought you were going to say this is episode 19 of The Blue Hotel. Ho starring Michelle. <laughs> I also oh. thought you were going to say something about me being sexy, but you basically had said something about me just being a sex therapist. I was like, oh, <laughs> sexy, although. We don't know each other that well. Yeah. Um, sex is not something you do. It's a place you go, says mm-hmm. the great Esther Perel. And I love that. Yeah. I know you're a fan of Esther Perel. Very and what a joyful place to go, right? Physically, emotionally. For me, Michelle, it's uh, it's part of the sacred triumvirate, as I like to call it, of riding motorbike, enjoying the great outdoors, both of which can also involve number three, which is sex. Yeah. For you, where does sex fall in the hierarchy of life's riches, Michelle? Well, I think that I can't imagine it not certainly being in my hierarchy right at the top there with, well, at the bottom, I should say, with basic needs. But as you were saying, and 
and quoting Esther Perel there, that it is sex is so much about being in the moment, just like when you're on your motorcycle where you're paying attention to what's going on right in front of you versus thinking about where exactly are you heading, right? Because when you start to think about the destination, you miss out on all the wonderful things that are happening in that exact moment. I think that being mindful is a lifetime journey. Being mindful during sex, I think that it is, it's almost intuitive sometimes for our our minds to think about either how am I looking right now? Do I look silly getting into some of these fears? And then connecting with the breath and just bringing yourself back to experiencing the sensations, experiencing the connection that you're having. And focusing less on the performative Mm -hmm. and more on the the connection and the moment and the now. Yeah. And I think it's for both for people with penises and vulvas that we have been so focused on the performance and all about how is the other person enjoying the sexual situation, right? Am I giving them a good time? And to be able to start to put that on the shelf and start to really give yourself permission to just allow pleasure in, it really does take stepping into fear getting comfortable with fear, trying to put the shame on the shelf. Even when people come into my practice, and especially if they've never been in therapy before, and they come to see a sex therapist, I'm always amazed. Because everybody that comes into my practice has decided that they want to step into fear. Tell me more about that. I'm not not sure what you mean. People have ideas about their own sexuality and what they like, and they think that it's wrong, that they should be either thinking about it in a certain way or doing certain things in a a certain way, and or maybe they have a history of trauma. Maybe they're embarrassed about the fantasies that they're having or the kind of sex that they want to have or the type of person that they're attracted to. And The fear is, what if I come to see you? Like, you're the one that knows about sex. What if I come to you and you tell me that I'm not normal or that there's something wrong with me? And so people are terrified. Most people do think that there is something wrong with them. I've got to think, and I'm just going to say the three things that I think would be the only things to... um, Avoid, and that would be non-consensual sex, non-consensual sex that you're having that the other person hasn't given you consent to have. Yeah. That would be the first and foremost. Number two would be sex with children. Yeah. And and number three would be the other obvious to me would be uh, sex with animals. Um, Failing those three categories, I can't imagine there's anything that's wrong, inappropriate, not to be done. Well, you don't. Anywhere. You don't no, think and, that. And I don't. And, and yeah. I know religion gets in the way and trauma can get in the way. And when I, when I introduced you, I, I mm-hmm. mentioned something you wrote that I just love, the Get Some podcast, your podcast, Michelle. 
exposing society's fuckery when it comes to sex. Yeah. And, yeah. and part of the fuckery is all of that misguided, for whatever reason, thinking around sex. Am I right? It blows my mind. I get it. I've been a, I've been a victim of it. And when you really think about it and you learn about where all of these ideas that we all took as truth, that they actually are just interpretations that there was some ideology out there that people chose to follow that kept them ingrained in shame. And when you are able to challenge people and say, look, it, that, is, that is certainly how some people think. It doesn't mean that that's the right way of thinking for you. Tell me this. Let's back it up because it's something you said caught my ear. Everything you say catches my ear. But the thing you said was, <laughs> I've been a victim of that. And tell me yeah. what that meant. The thinking? Tell me more. Well, I think being a cisgender woman and uh, being exposed to what the, you know, the ideal body is or how you should orgasm or what what you should wear and how you should dress and I went to a convent for school when I was young with nuns and there was a lot of shame around your body and and making sure that you could even like change from a dress into your bathing suit without exposing Michelle wow I didn't read that in your bio. How did you go from being in a convent, being taught by nuns at a young age, to to the person you've become? And that's 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 a two hour podcast. But how <laughs> was it? Almost um, was that your rebellion? Because when I talked to Lisa Peltier on this yeah. podcast, she knew at the age of seventeen she needed to be a sex therapist. She just knew, and she told her parents, and that was it. She was yeah. clear about it. What was the turning point for you when you're in school in a convent being taught by nuns, these things that inevitably wouldn't make sense for you? How did you transition from that into the different thinking? Or were you always thinking differently and wondering, what am I doing here? Sue Johansson. There it is. The Sunday night sex Next show. Sunday night sex show <laughs> changed my life. There's another Lisa, not Lisa Peltier, but Lisa Rideout, the director of Sex with Sue, the film the award-winning film. You and I have that in common. We both had the pleasure of speaking to her about her connection to Sue and making the film yeah. about Sue's life. Yeah. So did you hear her on TV or the radio first, Sue Joy? First on the radio, then on the TV. And it was, it was like tied between Sue and Dr. Ruth. <laughs> right. Dr. Ruth, if for anyone listening that doesn't remember, was in America. She was European. And Sue was in Canada as a Canadian, and they both had a different approach. How would you contrast one from the other? Well, I think that Dr. Ruth, okay, the one memory I have of watching Dr. Ruth, she was on like, I don't know, Phil Donahue or something. And a caller had said, I don't know what to do. My husband wants me to throw onion rings onto his penis. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like watching with my mom and I was like, what is going on? And then and it was around that time also that I discovered Sue Johansson, who again was also really funny. And because I had this very complicated relationship with 
sex and sexuality because of being in a convent and then living. Uh, I used to live in Sun City, which, um, if you know that song, Ain't Gonna Play Sun City. Sure, that little Stephen. Oh, gosh, yeah. Important. Yeah, so I, yeah, so I used to live there, My and it was during apartheid. My dad was in the hotel business, and so I was living amongst showgirls and also going to the convent um, that was about an hour drive away. So I had these really, like, I mean, the part at Sun City was amazing. That wasn't did not affect my relationship with my body. It was it was the nuns, um, and so I really kept a lot of. I had a lot of conflict in my mind about sex and and objectification and all of that stuff. And so when I discovered Sue, she was able to talk about sex with humor and was able to take the shame away which really allowed me to develop a different way of thinking about it. There's so much here. I love it. Yeah. Um, your mother and father's role in this, though, you know, two things. One, she's watching Donahue with you, and Dr. Ruth is talking about a, a woman who asks about throwing onion rings on her, on her man's yeah. penis. But then the other thing I'm thinking is, you're watching with your mother. Is it not your mother who put you in school with the nuns? Well, back in the 80s, when I was in Sun City, it was during apartheid. It was the only white school. So all the kids that were living at the resort, had white kids, had to get shipped off to the only school that was about an hour away that was run by nuns. So that was the only place to go to get your education short of homeschooling, which wasn't... Yes. And and like my father was a Holocaust survivor. So... He was it ain't Jewish. Another wrinkle to the whole thing, really. Right. So he was Jewish. Yeah. My mother Catholic, yeah. and it was just a whole bunch of you know. My dad saying, "Don't tell them that you're Jewish because like they'll kick you out of the only school." My father was the one who was very sex positive and really was able to bring humor to. Sex, my mother was more conservative. And then the nuns were very shameful of Sun Like they would shame the people, the dancers at Sun City because I wanted to be a showgirl. I love that. How did you get out of that mess? (laughs) Which mess? Like coming back to Canada? The mess of all of those mixed messages and all of the conflicting views around life and sexuality. It is a journey. It is... Being able to look at the story that you've created in your mind about and how you've put things together and tried to make sense and to realize that that is just a story that that you've put together and that it's actually not helpful in creating the kind of relationship with your body and with sex that you want. So it was really about challenging those ideas and really taking the risk to try to look at myself in a different way. It was Sue Johansson because after I discovered her, I became like I wanted to be her. (laughs) And so I have even captured on video so Steven Spielberg was interviewing, he had a, a, a team here that was interviewing Holocaust survivors and like their families. And in that video, my dad says, and my daughter wants to be a sex therapist. And I think I was like 14. 
fantastic. <laughs> and and it's really not that I, I haven't wanted to do anything else so that when I get to this point where I'm like interviewing at Lisa Rideout, who I get it, it's not Sue, but the fact that I got to this place where I'm in some ways continuing on Sue's legacy because the legacy was just so meaningful for me and like I want to be able to do that for other people. I felt like literally I, I could just die now. Like I've kind of done, I've, my mission is complete. Now we encourage, uh, I encourage now uh, people to go listen to the Get Some podcast to the Lisa Rideout episode because there'll be stuff in there that I didn't cover with Lisa mm -hmm. and to uh, listen to the Blue Hotel episode with Lisa Rideout, the director of Sex with Sue, the film about Sue Johansson's life in, in sex, um, radio and television. And you probably know this, I met Sue because her show on radio followed my show on radio. She would come in really early because she was quite prepared, as you might imagine. And, and we would talk while I was finishing my show and she was prepping her show. And she was wonderful, personable, warm, kind, compassionate, and, and funny, to your point. <laughs> really funny. Yeah. When I hear these stories, I just, like, melt Everybody seems to have a, a Sue story. I've been so close to meeting her. I've just missed, I've always just missed it. <laughs> um, Lisa from the film, the director, I almost felt like she was like a vessel. Like I was almost talking to Sue through her. Like it was the closest thing I've gotten. That's wonderful. I'm glad you got that opportunity. Yeah, I've got I've got so many things in my. I'm as curious as a cat about your thoughts around a number of things. One of them, let me just jump into it: online dating versus in-person yeah. connections. Because I am of the mind, Michelle, yeah. that online is essentially a blind date, and I really don't like blind dates. Hmm. I tried it once or twice, and it was an it was it was not good. Hmm. Talk a bit about how life has changed because of the Tinder world, and 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 how that has posed. Anything positive and what negative? Pros and cons, as it were. Yeah, I'm fully supportive of online dating. I just think you really know you need to know how to do it. We've all heard the worst dating, online dating stories, and everyone's telling everybody, oh, God, don't do it. It's horrible. And I think it's a real opportunity, especially with some of these dating sites where there's lots of questions that you can answer. I think it's a real great opportunity to, number one, see if you have similar values around whether it be like religion or belief systems. Something like OkCupid or Field would be around sex. Because I'm a sex therapist and I am working primarily with people who are having sexual concerns, I know what a sexual incompatibility can do to relationships. And sometimes I think putting the what your interests are in sex should be right up there with like your pronoun, your relationship style, you know, whether you're like hetero or whatever, um, because it's and not that people can't work through some of these incompatibilities when it comes to sex. It's just really, really hard when one person, let's say, has a very high sex drive or has ideas about relationships where they want to you know, have an open relationship or have sex with other people. 
But the other person's like, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for a monogamous relationship, right? And so with online dating, there is this opportunity for you to look for the different qualities that are really important to you. And yeah, like I think how somebody looks may be one of them. But another quality might be open to monogamy or non-monogamy, right? Somebody that you can see has some flexibility or to say I'm I'm monogamous and I'm looking for a monogamous relationship because those are important pieces of information. In terms of face-to-face meeting, I think it would be wonderful like if you have those opportunities to go out to restaurants, bars, or you you're invited to house parties or for a lot of people it's the online dating is, is it, it's basically which online dating platform but 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 largely as a non-user of these things have dabbled in grinder um i've you know i've gone on there and had an account um maybe 26 times and and, and it just gets so flaky that i that i that i bail <laughs> I'm currently i'm currently in bail mode <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I did sign up for um, Tinder. I, I wanted to know how it worked. Yeah. And it's so funny because my 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 ex girlfriend at the time, who we just couldn't stop seeing each other, but we, we weren't in a relationship. <laughs> of course, knew about it in fourteen seconds. Yeah, her friends her friends text, saw Jeff on Grinder, uh, or rather on Tinder, Freudian yeah. slip. And uh, what are you doing on <laughs> Tinder? I said I really wanted to n- understand it. And I didn't like it, and I'm not, right. um, I'm not using it. But I think it was uh, as a person who wanted to do a podcast around sexuality, it was, uh, it was <laughs> incumbent upon me to to learn about it. That's the one helpful piece, or unhelpful piece, I should say, about dating apps is that you can see your exes. Which, to be quite frank, when you break up with people, I think it's always good to have a little bit of space, <laughs> especially if it was a painful breakup. And even though you know you don't want to be with that person anymore, it's still hard to see that they're moving on with their life, right? right? And it, it brings, it almost takes you back a couple months in your healing. That would be the the difficult part, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Healing's a huge, mm-hmm. it's a going concern for a lot of us who get in and out of relationships because it can mm-hmm. be very difficult to get beyond someone who you thought it was going to work out with. I, I yeah. find that it's a, it's an ebb and flow. Some mornings I wake up and I'm, I'm okay with this, yeah. this, this, this thing that ended a year and a half ago. And then tomorrow I'll wake up and I'm not okay at all with it. Yeah. Do you find a lot of people coming to you as a therapist in that similar situation where they just yes. can't get beyond? Tell me about it. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people still have a flame. And I, for, for their ex, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se, but people worry that they've made the wrong decision sometimes. And I think, or people don't know if they should be ending a relationship or stay, right? And, and I always say, well, I don't know for you either, but... One thing that I read about once was that if it's harder to be in the relationship than to be out of the relationship, 
That's usually a good marker. That's so good. So practical. That sounds like something your dad would say. Yeah. it's it, And even when you have that ex, but you kind of still want them, you have to think about those moments where things felt really, really hard in the relationship. And just remember that. Yeah. So important. Yeah. You can, you can always, you will, if something was so strong and powerful, if something about the thing was so strong and powerful, as long as you have a memory, you will probably find that thing strong and powerful. It doesn't mean it has to continue as a relationship. No. And it's also okay to feel conflicted. I think allowing yourself to feel exactly what's coming up for you is grief, right? You you need time to be able to grieve that significant loss in your life. And some people get down on themselves because they're like, I, we broke up a year ago and I still am like feeling sad about it. And it's like, that's okay. I get it. Like I, I can see why you would feel sad rather than beat yourself up about it. Try to understand what what that's all about what does that mean for you does it mean that you want to reach out to them right and so if you even give people say you have a choice here what do you want to do with it so people feel like they've made a choice because sometimes that choice is made for them right when somebody just breaks up with you you kind of like you have this work that you need to do to finally reconcile number one that you just weren't their cup of tea it doesn't it doesn't it's nothing about you it's more about them and and I do that work too which is when somebody either doesn't want to go out with you on a second date or maybe after a couple of years they realize this isn't the right relationship it's it's not about you because you'd probably be tons of other people's cup of teas it's just that person has their own what do you want to call it conditions of satisfaction whatever it is and being able to externalize it people tend to internalize it like it must be a deficit within me and what could i have done differently and torturing yourself ultimately can i ask you some questions i think since that you're a podcaster and host of the Get Some podcast, uh, it's appropriate that you... Okay, I have some questions for you. Go ahead, Michelle. And the first one that comes to mind is, I'm really curious about this transition from your music podcast, because I know that your interest has always been in classic rock, like that's your thing. Um. Oh, my God, I have so many questions right now. Okay. <laughs> One is, I've told you about my Sue, who my Sue is. I think I know who your Sue is. <laughs> Not in the sex world, like in the music world. Who's your Sue? My Sue? My sort of uh, guiding light, my inspiration in the music world? Wow. Or like someone that really touched you. In music, well, Lana Del Rey certainly did. 
through her through her debut album, Born to Die. Yeah. Um, just because that album was filled with sensuality and sexuality and, and unapologetic, here's who I am, and, and just absolute artistry as it relates to the way she mixed sounds with her voice. Is this what you look like when you're having sex? <laughs> <laughs> what do I look like? Tell me. You look like you're in heaven right now. <laughs> yeah, well, when I talk about Lana, I, I tend to be, I'm a, I'm a massively sexual person. And I really enjoy enjoying, and uh, and I have a lot to give, and uh, that's just been who I am in my life. And more so, you know, I hate ageism, mm-hmm. and more so in my fifties. I don't think I really oh. became the person I was meant to be until I was fifty something. I'm still fifty something, by the way. I was I was completely unable to be me until I was, you know, mature, <laughs> as it were. Um, an understanding of self is everything self-knowledge, right? Tell me more. What were you thinking? Okay, so I was going to guess that your sex with Sue was David Bowie. Well, there. Yeah, I was thinking uh, feminine. Uh, completely feminine. <laughs> Cisgendered female. Um, but Bowie was uh, largely that because of the songs, because of the content of the songs. And because of the evolution of his career, Michelle, as you know, I mean, we all know that David took a lot of left turns at Albuquerque, as it were, and a lot of them were revealing about his ability to take chances, to take risks, to uh, step outside of himself, to step into areas that we might not have expected him to, to step into areas that other artists wouldn't have when he would go from genre to genre, or certainly style to style. Um, It was brave, and it paid off for him, as we know. Even when it didn't pay off financially, it paid off artistically, it paid off in the growth of who he became. But he was also your favorite interview. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was really my favorite interview, because here's the thing, I watch interviews, you know, we compare what's in front of us to everything that's been in front of us before. We, we mm-hmm. you know, and then while comparison can be the thief of joy, it can also be uh, it could also be a great sort of barometer of where you are now and what you've learned. Mm-hmm. So I, I watch other Bowie interviews, and yeah. then uh, and I think about mine. Yeah, and I think and I think Michelle, wow, he really was relaxed, mm-hmm. in a great mood forthcoming, fun, and just a joy to be around, and engaged, not only engaging, but engaged in what I responded with and what I had to say to him. And and, and, and oftentimes when you interview people, um, they're just they're just doing their thing. Yeah. You you don't even need to be there almost. You could have mailed the questions to them. But with David it was a very one on one back and forth. I think he'd be really good in bed. He would be. There's no question. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Mick Jagger. Yeah. Just wow. like right. Yeah. I mean, they were yeah. they were both by, and David got away from it. I, I think that I mean that's no surprise to you, and and to most people. But people often question it. Well, David said he was gay, and then he said he was bi, and then he said he wasn't any of those things. I said, well, you know, he got into a mature relationship with Iman, and that was his one and only, and they had a child. His life um, had evolved to a different place. 
where, you know, it didn't serve a purpose anymore to focus on some things that he had focused yeah. on as a 20-something-year-old. He was still by in and of himself, inside. You don't change who you are. You do change the way you conduct your life. Yeah, people get really confused. It messes with their mind. It like where you can be both and you can make a choice, but it doesn't denounce or discount this other part of yourself, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Robin Oaks, as you know, is a is a great yeah. educator and, and her definition I've I've said it many times before about yeah. bisexuality yeah. um uh, speaks to that. You can be a bisexual man and be with a woman and be uh, faithful and loyal to her if that is what you choose to do. It doesn't take away the fact that you're still attracted to a certain degree at certain times to certain people um, sexually of the same sex. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know if you know this. Tell me. I kind of don't even know how I know this, but I'm pretty sure it's true that the number one genre of porn that cis women tend to watch is bisexual male male porn. Yeah, I certainly knew that gay was up there in the up there scale, but bi is the number one. Wow. Tell me more. In some ways, it's kind of like the best of both worlds, where you have a guy that you're watching who is very open to touching another man to showing their affection and sexual desire to another man in front of well these are usually threesomes by the way and like clearly i've watched one but or two um, or hundreds or like <laughs> but there is something about a cisgendered man who can be vulnerable enough to just do what feels good for them. There's something very sexy about seeing guys lean into this part of themselves because generally they've been very much, oh God, no, yes, I'm so straight and I would never kiss a guy. And But when a guy is like, yeah, you know, I'd be, I'd be open to it. That's I find that to be very sexy. I I um I'm glad I discovered and allowed that part of myself in my sexual life because I don't know, when I watch porn I always think, why are the men and maybe it's the director too, a lot of porn is, is directed this way. Why are the yeah. men so quiet? How well, how can you even be there? How can a man come and not make any noise? Now once in a while a man can because he has to because can't make noise because there's this grandma or the kids down the hall or whatever <laughs> the thing is, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're in public somewhere and you're trying to be discreet. But by and large, we are, you know, vocal and verbal and, and we have reactions in yeah. voice to the feelings we have. So I yeah. just I just am totally myself. And I love being that. And I yeah. don't hide anything. And it's a great feeling to be that open, right? So sure. I'm glad you have brought that up. I think male sexuality has been so one-dimensional. It's been all around a, a hard cock. 
and where you're going to put it. And in my work, I have learned that just like people with vulvas, men's sexuality has lots of layers too. It's just that they were never given permission to be able to experiment with that part of themselves through fear. Well, Michelle, you make a great point. And I think gay men gave themselves that power. They took that power because yeah. they fought for that power and gay women. But bi is a whole other category, isn't it? Bi has this... this um, target on its back by some of the gay community, not all of the gay community, and some of the hetero community, where bi is just a, on the highway to gay. And there's no such thing as bisexuality. And we both know that not to be true. No. <laughs> it is what it is um, for the people who feel it, feeling an attraction to both sexes and to non-binary folk, uh, those who identify that way. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, the best definition is more than one sex. You've seen that. You, you've, you've witnessed that argument that, that bisexual is... It's a bit of a gray area for people who don't understand it. Some on the hetero side would be like, you're just... You're, just, um, you're never satisfied in your... In your mm. um, what's, the, what's the word? You're, um, you're a selfish prick who just wants lots of sex, so you'll, you'll fuck anything. I've even had girlfriends say that. Yeah, I, I mean, I get the privilege of really understanding people's journey who identify as bisexual. And matter of fact, I don't even think, I think even bisexual, like that category has a range. And some people want to call themselves bisexual. I work with people who would consider themselves to be hetero, maybe hetero-flexible, Maybe they prefer to be with a cisgendered woman, but maybe they like to get blowjobs from guys once in a while where there's no intimacy, right? It's very much just an experience that they want. And do I then say, well, that makes you bisexual? I'm like, people can friggin' label themselves whatever they want. The difficulty, though, I think, what I've seen for with bisexual men, and you tell me what you think about this, is that there are a lot of guys out there that want to be able to have the opportunity to have uh, an emotional like relationship with, we'll talk about bisexual guys, with another guy. Except sometimes in the in the dating realm, either the... Gay men are looking at them as, oh, you're kind of straight. Like, it's part of this fantasy, but don't want to have a relationship with them. Or they're dating women, and the women are saying, well, are you sure you're not gay? And really feeling a bit like they have to explain themselves to everybody. Really having a bit of a challenge with just being able to date. Well, you know, yeah, no. My biggest fear as a bisexual man who didn't like admit to it till his early 30s mm -hmm. was that no woman, because I still really enjoy having a relationship with a woman and I still yeah. really enjoy having sex with a woman. My sort of uh, bi thing is 
not yeah. getting not getting head from a man. You know, I still prefer um, a woman there. Oh, on. interesting, eh? Isn't yeah. that fascinating? Yeah. Like, I love this stuff. Right. Everything that can happen does happen. People are like, well, how does it work? I go, it works whatever way it works for whomever you're speaking to. Exactly. For me, it works this way. But it can yeah. be completely different for, for everybody you ask. Yeah. And for me, yeah. that's, that's kind of how I operate. My biggest yeah. fear, though. Is that there wouldn't be a woman that would accept the fact that I like to do that, that I was mm. bisexual. And right. so, um, what happened was it took a back seat to my um, desire to have a relationship with a woman. So, so for nice. a year, a year and a half, two years, Michelle, in my yeah. quest to have this great relationship with a woman, it was dormant. That's how I'd best describe it. It was like I wasn't even thinking about it, it mm. wasn't important. This was the yeah. thing, this was the central. Um, focus of my uh, romantic life. And then invariably what happened, Michelle, was there it was. It came walking, creeping back into my life. Oh, yeah, that part that I had sort of um, naturally suppressed. Yeah. And that's where the problem came because I was so Mm -hmm. deep into this thing with a woman and we had never discussed that part of me. And I did that in my 30s and into my 40s even. Yeah. And then I realized who I was and that it was okay to be who I was and that it was important to be honest with a woman about who I was before we even had sex. Yes. Yes. So I led with that. Michelle, I would say, I would get into this thing and then we talked about it and then she showed interest and I showed interest and I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm bi. Exactly. And you know what? When it comes to online dating, I think that that should be like, Don't even meet with them until you say that. Yeah, yeah, it's important. It really is important. Right, and because there are a lot of women out there that would find it really hot to watch you give another guy a blowjob. A lot of women would and do, and that was the oh wow for me that, oh my God, there are really cool uh, women who have no problem with it. In fact, they welcome it, and I've had great um, relationships that are like that. I wish I'd known this sooner. Yeah. Do you think it was the music industry that allowed you to tap into that part of your sexuality and be more accepting of it? Maybe, yeah. I gave that a lot of thought because I thought you might ask that or go down mm. that road. And 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 maybe um, because of the examples of the David Bowies of the world, it was yeah. part of the conversation. But I don't think the music industry by and large, is that uniquely, that that different from all the other industries. Hmm. Other than we end up spending more time late at night out at clubs with mm-hmm. a lot of like-minded people and artists and bands. So the environment was a bit more welcoming to right. thought around things that you might not think if you're at the insurance firm at 3 p.m. <laughs> yeah. It was about the individual. It was about you. What do you think? What do you want? I don't credit the industry as opening my eyes or allowing for the evolution of who I am sexually. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I credit all the great <laughs> people like you who were educating us in, in, in mm-hmm. books and in therapy. That was the place we began to understand ourselves. Yeah, and I feel like that is, in some ways, my goal and my mission of the Get Some podcast is every single episode that I have, I mean, there's something a little bit selfish about it in that 
I only have interviewed people that I've been very interested in or I want to know more about something, but I don't have access to those people to learn about it. And or I have questions around things that my clients have shown up with, right? Like I work with a lot of people who are from different cultural backgrounds that are dealing with racism, that are dealing with belief systems that have impacted their relationship with sex. And like, I'm a white person and they don't have a lot of options when it comes to like, if they really want to see a certified sex therapist, we have one black certified therapist, sex therapist in Canada. So I know when people are coming to me, for the most part, I know I'm not their first choice, but they also know that I have an interest in culture. So there is a safety that is in there with them coming to, to see me. But part of my other mission is to not have sex therapy be so white and focused around the white idea of what sex is supposed to be. So my other hope is that there'll be more people that will become interested from different backgrounds into this profession. You know, there's something on your website that I saw earlier today, and it said this, and I'm going to add it to my website if you don't mind. I can give you credit. It says people people who are transgendered, transsexual, intersexed, gay, lesbian, bisexual, queer, two-spirited, queer and questioning, plus friends and allies are treated with dignity, respect, appreciation, and are valued, welcomed, and supported. That's who you are. That's what your website states. And I love that. And that's what our podcasts are about. Yeah. While the, while, while, while the political uh, environment in Canada, too, but the, yeah. that we're seeing in America with Republicans versus Democrats, yeah. it's a shit show. And it's disgusting yeah. in that what we thought was becoming a world of greater understanding. I don't love the word tolerance. It's like, yeah, I'll put up with it. I want greater understanding, not just tolerance. My most favorite work actually is working with people who are struggling with the sexuality that they identify with. I had this conversation, Michelle, with uh, a partner. Then mm. here's what I said. And people don't always hear the words you say. They hear the thoughts they have about the thing and they rely on that. I said that there are an awful lot of men and women who have a proclivity to being with, in a sexual way, their own sex, that are so conditioned, that witness so much shame around it, mm -hmm. that were taught things that didn't um, jive <laughs> with that feeling or that desire, and therefore they never explored it, or if they did, they buried it and never did again, yeah. or they still explore it and hide it. And I yeah. said, I said, there's not a man on the face of the earth that hasn't thought about giving and or receiving head from another yeah. man. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that the thought makes it something you really want to do, but you have considered it. Yeah. And she said, oh, you just think everyone thinks like you. I said, no, listen to the words. 
every man has thought about it. It doesn't mean every man wants to do it, but there are a lot more men that actually do want to do it than mm -hmm. they admit. Otherwise, why would there be such a massive category on Grindr of yeah. um, profiles with no photos, yeah. no real information, other yeah. than they want to give or get head from another man? And the number one word or the most prevalent word they use in their profile, if they have any mm -hmm. words at all, is discreet. Yeah. Because they don't want anyone to know, including probably their their partner, who's a woman. Yeah. Which we probably maybe have different views on this, but maybe yeah. not. Um, from my perspective, sometimes people in that situation where they're not putting their picture and being a bit more discreet, it's them edging a little bit where they're just dipping their toes in. Um, and are feeling a bit conflicted and and so are taking this opportunity to maybe explore a little bit more about who they are the unfortunate part is that often it is done privately secretly which is difficult because many of the people that are let's say on grinder and let's just say they're in a seemingly heterosexual relationship when it comes to shame and and not telling the truth and not being honest, oftentimes people also have a hard time asserting, uh, like having safe sex. So it can be very uh, risky if somebody who is, let's say, bisexual, where it's really ha are having difficulty even communicating about that or even asking, let's say, to use a condom and then going and having sex with their, you know, partner and and then finding out that both of them have HIV. And so it's this communication, like if we could just get through some of the shame and be able to see bisexuality as a very legitimate orientation that maybe people would feel more open and honest with themselves and with their partner because now there is an increased rate of cisgendered women that are testing HIV positive and so chances are if that communication was open between them that like, yeah, he was interested in being with other guys. They could at least have that conversation around, well, what are our boundaries? Do you use condoms? Should we take prep, both of us? But do we know that? No. I, I, how do I know this information? Honestly, like I just see a lot of clients, <laughs> right? I get the really shitty stories. I'm not saying that this is happening everywhere. I'm sure that there are people that are having safer sex, but even, and it's not just bisexual people, people in general who are not honest in their relationship about what their true sexual desires are. It's just people who aren't able to really truly accept who they are. That is the struggle. And that's my work. Like my work is really trying to normalize and let people know that it's okay. Like your sexual desires are okay. And I know you have fears around what this could mean, but you're going to be okay. Step into who you are. And remember what the man on the radio said. There are mm -hmm. people out there who will 
not only accept, but embrace you for who you are. Be upfront about it. Be open about it. And you'd be surprised at the potential success you'll have. Totally. Do not underestimate other people and their ability to be open-minded. I contend this. And I want your thoughts on it. Okay. Michelle, the best lube on the market, and it's absolutely free, is communication. (laughs) Yes. I spend most of my work helping people communicate about sex. It is like a magic pill. I've seen people's sexual relationships change. I haven't even, like, we haven't even gotten into, like, I don't know, whatever it is where they want to go in terms of, like, a desire discrepancy or whatever. Um, When they start to communicate, it really helps with a deeper level of understanding of your partner, which creates this vulnerability and hard conversations are good they're scary but when you find the right words and you work through some of the shame and you find the right words to be able to articulate what your needs are to somebody and actually have somebody listen and take it in it can take relationships to a whole new level it adds another dimension where people feel like they've entered into this they wish they knew earlier how great communication was but what is the barrier beyond beyond fear anything i think it's this fear of change right like ultimately especially when it comes to sex something that you might really want and something that you might really need may not land for the other partner. And it's being able to set the stage as that being a possibility Um, and checking out what it feels like to live the life that they're currently living, where they keep a lot of what they're wanting to themselves and suffering or taking this risk into the, into the unknown. And the unknown could be either where the relationship goes to the next level and it gets amazing and better um, and deeper, or it means that it could be that the relationship it needs to end. And it's this unknown. Everyone worries that like they don't think that they're going to be okay or they can't imagine their life without this other person or they worry about what this will do to their kids, their family, how everyone's going to react. And it's supporting people to really think about that. Okay, so yeah, it's going to be hard. But, but no risk, no reward. If you stay in the same place, not having your desires and wants met because you're being quiet, what's the outcome of that? More of the same. When you step out of that fear and step beyond that fear and and communicate, 
there's a hell of a bigger chance that you're going to get satisfaction in the places that you're not getting it now. It's the only place to have a chance. You have to be confident enough in your belief and in yourself and in hope for the future that if it doesn't continue because you're being truthful in whatever that truth is, that you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah, some of the most painful conversations that I've witnessed is where one person is like, I need this thing, and and their partner is like, I can't give that to you. It goes against who I am. And, and those are hard conversations where they both, it's like a, a real grief, and there's a lot of tears. It's not fighting. That's one hard piece part to witness. Another hard part is when somebody's so afraid to lose the relationship that they close off that sexual part. They say, okay, you know what? Like being, I'm choosing this relationship and I'll try to, you know, figure out a way that I can be okay. And I'm not saying that's a bad choice, but I can, I know how hard it is for them. And so the work really is around the partner really supporting them and acknowledging this decision that they're making to put to bed their sexual hopes for themselves. You know, we need to do this again sometime, whether it's here at the Blue Hotel or over there at the Get Some podcast. (laughs) I'm happy to have you back and happy to join you on or in Collingwood. Oh my God, we could tag team me and Lisa and you. I mean, on the podcast, of course. Of the, whatever, whatever you mean, I'm open to it. <laughs> it was a pleasure to have you. I'm so glad that, uh, that you agreed to come on. Thank you. Oh, that was so fun. Thank you for having me. We did a at the Blue Hotel. Coming right up, the climax of episode 19. It's another erotic bedtime story narration. The title of this one is Honey River. It's a story written by a friend of the Blue Hotel, Christine Goche, edited and narrated by yours truly. It's a story of Talia, who had only recently realized she was attracted to both men and women. And as she put it, as a woman, she could really appreciate the beauty and the style of other women. But for so long beyond that, nothing had made her question her preferences. At least not until she walked into her life. As Talia put it, it felt a bit like the kind of excitement and breathlessness that happened when she used to see a guy she was really attracted to. But it had been a while since that happened. And this time, the wetness she felt below was beyond compare. And for it to be completely inspired by another woman, and not just a woman, thought Talia, a fucking goddess with her long, dark brown hair and dark eyes and long legs and breasts full and fabulous and a perfectly shaped ass. Talia 
imagined all the things she might do with her and to her and the things she would let her do to her body. Her mind was set ablaze just thinking about it. And on this day, being in the change room at yoga in the middle of getting dressed after her shower, suddenly Talia saw her again. Having just walked in, smiling in the afterglow of stretching herself to the limits of her practice, she kept walking toward and into the bathroom and out of sight. Breathe, girl, breathe, Talia thought to herself as the feelings began to rise up in the presence of such confidence and strength. She was just so perfect. Talia felt things tighten and pulse deep within her body. And the puddle, the want, the dreams that had woken her many nights, the desire to kiss her on the mouth, and the honey that would spill from her lips and slip down her breasts, adding a sticky sweetness to the spot between her legs. And how she wanted to taste that honey. The real dreams and the daydreams had just collided with Riley's entrance. Suddenly she was gliding from the bathroom closer toward the bench where Talia stood, staring in a fit of admiration and lust, and then panicking and looking down, fumbling for clothes, barely two feet from the woman of her unexpected dreams. Talia somehow finished getting dressed, in the nervousness double-checking to make sure her buttons had lined up on her shirt, feeling like a schoolboy with his first crush but too shy or too scared to think of what to say or do, really. So off she went. What came next were more dreams of that moment of truth, recurring and focused always on her mouth. And then her ass, that perfectly shaped ass, she thought. And then the scenes would jump straight to the kiss she longed to give her. And her imagination played along perfectly as the honey did spill from her lips and slip down both of their breasts, making for that sticky, sweet puddle between their legs. And she wanted to taste that honey, and she did, in her dream, getting on her knees from behind as the goddess leaned forward with her hands on the bench and Talia licked and circled around her clit and sucked the sweetness until her mouth was full of her taste. And every time she dreamed this dream, she woke with a real-life puddle between her legs, soaking her fitted sheet. The floodgates, pun intended, had opened wide. Talia looked within herself and her newfound thoughts, and decided to allow herself the adventure of exploration into a new way of thinking. Suddenly she was filled with the feeling that the world was indeed her oyster. She knew that her desire for cock had not subsided one bit, but now just as strong was the desire to be with women. I mean, not just any women, but for sure this one. And yet her subsequent trips to yoga yielded no sign of the woman. But every chance she got, Talia pleasured herself with her fingers, thinking about her. At bedtime, before breakfast, in the car, on a break from work, when she got home, Talia would make herself come three, four, five times a day. It became obsessive. She didn't care. She felt alive again. And then one night, a Saturday night, Talia walked out of the local lounge, buzzing a bit from happy hour with a couple of girls, fumbling for her phone to order a ride home. When she nearly stumbled into someone heading in, looking up she noticed it was her. Talia stammered, you probably don't, and she was interrupted mid-sentence with the reply, it's you from the yoga studio. How could I forget the look on your face when I came towards you? 
It was probably the sweetest, most innocent and flattering look a woman has ever given me. Talia beamed with those words and the simple fact that she even remembered her. I'm Riley. I'm happy to meet you. And you are? Talia told her her name. Riley asked her where she was going and easily convinced her to come back in for a drink. One flowed into the next, and so did their conversation. No risk, no reward, thought Talia, telling Riley of her thoughts and of her dreams, real and imagined, as Riley's eyes grew bigger and her smile broadened at the revelations. And on the phone they would talk, sharing more thoughts and feelings and stories of their past with lovers, their likes and dislikes, what turned them on, their shared love of full asses and lips and long hair and deep arches and soft skin, and, and they agreed upon things that turned them off, like rudeness and people who somehow didn't love dogs. And the conversations went on over weeks as they got to know each other even better, reveling in the freedom to let loose and be themselves together. They would debate politics and religion and the pros and cons of circumcision and boob jobs and hair extensions, none of the above they had known firsthand. They made each other laugh, and the way Talia looked was something Riley found both completely different from the women she was attracted to, which was in itself a turn-on, and she too found herself thinking of Talia when she masturbated. She could come imagining her mouth buried between her legs, and so finally, weeks in, one night, she said so. The conversation evolved from stories of others to stories of one another, the dreams, the thoughts, the wants. And finally, suddenly, they were in the back of a car, traveling to Riley's place together for the first time. They were barely inside her apartment when she suddenly turned around and took Talia's face in her hands and kissed her mouth, which was all the way fierce, lips, tongue, teeth, biting, sucking on each other's lips, making each other gasp for breath in a good way, and not giving up the taste of one another for one second. Talia felt the heat of her kisses run through her body from head to toe, but mostly between her legs. It pulsed, and her panties were soaked right through. She was on fire, couldn't stop herself from making small, helpless noises as Riley ravaged her mouth. She lost herself in kissing back, too. Talia's whimpers would turn to whispers of please. And then Riley stopped and held her face in her hands again, saying, please what? Please fuck me, she begged, tears forming from the need that had gripped her in her agonizing desire to have her use that mouth below. She'd never wanted someone this much before, and she felt like she would die if she didn't get the release she so badly needed. Riley took her hand and led her down the hall and pushed her down on the bed and kissed and licked and bit her way down Talia's neck to her tents and lingered there circling with her tongue on her nipples and sucking and holding and harder and taking each breast between her hands and gripping and fiercely sucking, making her feel like never before. No man ever did this. And Talia's back arched, and Riley spit upon her breasts and with her fingers circled her nipples and rubbed the wetness all over each one. And with both hands squeezed each one while her mouth returned to ravage Talia's open mouth as their tongues played together, and Talia's pulsing wetness below was still craving. Riley could feel the want and worked her way down between Talia's tits again and onto her stomach, tonguing her way down to her wetness, 
as their whimpers became moans and Talia's hips rocked in anticipation, and suddenly fingers slid into her wetness. With one hand, Riley pulled upon her G-spot, with her other hand working her clit, circling and teasing its stiffness faster and faster. And the rhythm was perfect and unrelenting, and on it went until Talia felt the warm, heavy feeling building. Faster and faster, her fingers played on that spot like a heartbeat like a heartbeat racing until she spilled over the edge, arching her back even more and screaming as she came. And then they lay there, panting, as Riley licked her juices off her fingers and she looked into Talia's eyes and smiled a sweet smile and Talia purred and found herself aching to return the favor and so she pushed Riley onto her back and said, My turn. And she kissed her like she wanted to climb right inside of her mouth, pushing her tongue into every warm, wet corner. And she kissed down her neck to her full, luscious breasts. And she took her time, rolling and tasting each one, kneading and pushing them together so she could kiss and suck them both, and sensing her pleasure and hearing her faint moans, and then lightly biting one breast and feeling her approval in the way Riley's hips rocked as she did. And Talia kept going down and down further, working her way directly to her clit, working it the way she'd dreamt about, and working the way Riley had just worked her, tasting, nibbling, and sucking, and increasing the motion and the intensity. And Riley reacted, too, by pressing her pussy as far as she could into Talia's mouth, feeling her fingers inside of her and focusing on the peach pit feel of her spot engaging in the come-here motion with her finger that Riley felt might send her straight to the moon, and she was right as her moans escalated and her body shuddered, and then she was still, and a gushing wetness gave way and filled Talia's mouth and soaked her entire face and hair, and it tasted just like she'd dreamed, sweet like honey, and she drank down every last drop. Come on, let's go to the blue hole. Please take me back to the Blue Hotel. The Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. 
Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.